Today's show is part two of our short history of environmental, social, and governance investing. If you haven't listened to part one, I'll sum it up briefly for you now. For nearly 3,000 years, ESG investing was the quest for information, a quest to find out more about what a company does and how it does it, all in an effort to understand if that company fit in your belief system. But about 10 years ago, ESG changed. And that's mostly because information changed. There was enough information where suddenly you could make all sorts of decisions using ESG data. And now ESG investing isn't just a singular quest for information anymore. It's more like a choose your own adventure. Welcome to ESG Now. I'm your host, Matt Muscardi. On today's show, we're going to cover what an ESG investor today might do about this. Quote, Coca-Cola explores entering cannabis market with wellness beverage. Now that headline is from a month ago, and this week, cannabis is about to be fully legal in Canada. And some of the biggest companies in the world, they're all watching. ESG data today lets us see some very different paths if you're considering a headline like this. So today's story, you choose your adventure in three paths. When soda meets marijuana. Path one, invest your values. In 2016, Catholic Bishop Michael Barber issued a statement about Proposition 64, which is the ballot measure to legalize marijuana in California. And he said, quote, the legalized use of recreational marijuana will create circumstances that will no doubt create economic winners and losers, but the impoverished will be some of the victims of this measure. Now, Proposition 64 passed, and one month from now, there are four more states where decriminalizing cannabis is on the ballot in some form. It would bring the total to 10 states in the United States if they all pass. And as of next week, Canada is set to legalize marijuana across the entire country. In the past, if you were a socially conscious investor, this might have been a problem. If you were trying to vote your morals with your investment dollar— you may not have known which companies were selling cannabis in some form, but that definitely isn't the case anymore. Companies are, are, are now disclosing more and more what their potential exposure to cannabis is. So we're trying to find all the different products that could be, uh, you know, could be tied to cannabis in one form or the other, whether it be smokable products, whether it be edibles, the, you know, the old pot brownies, or, 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 or whether it could be newer products that are used for, uh, you know, medicinal use. That was Joseph Williams, our senior analyst covering business screens for clients looking to avoid all types of different businesses in their portfolio. If you remember from last week, we talked about the challenge of figuring out whether a company in the 1970s manufactured Agent Orange. And today, the data we have actually captures 47 different business types that some investors look to avoid. 47. And that includes things like cluster bombs and adult entertainment, child labor, movie production, fur, and even breast milk substitutes. I've actually been asked to create a screen around things like boats with 13-kilometer nets trawling in the Asia-Pacific. 
And the data allows us to do a lot of these things. And pretty soon, you can do that with cannabis. So, so if you were going with a, just, just a pure exclusionary, I want to exclude you know, any company with any kind of involvement in cannabis, right now we're looking at about 57 companies uh, that are either producing a cannabis-related product or are retailing cannabis-related product. And, and actually, uh, looking at what we captured so far, the majority of the retailers are also the, the producers. I think there may be one or two that are only involved in, in the retail of the products. So that's it. If you want to get rid of cannabis, get rid of those 57 companies and problem solved. Well, yes and no. Because I'm going to ask you something that I'm sure at some point in your life, your slacker cousin asked you at a party once. How much cannabis is too much cannabis? Because let's say Coca-Cola launches a wellness beverage and they use cannabidiol. Does it matter that it's not the kind of cannabis that your cousin's probably using at that party? Or does it matter that Coca-Cola only ends up making less than 1% of its revenue from this hypothetical drink line? And what about medicinal marijuana? Because of the 57 companies that Joseph mentioned, nearly two-thirds actually exclusively make medicinal marijuana, not recreational. So an investor choosing this path, they actually have a lot of decisions to make. Investors don't really know exactly how to handle uh, this issue yet. Uh, should should cannabis be treated, for instance, uh, in a similar way uh, as as more traditional sin stocks? Hey, you know, alcohol uh, is an intoxicant. Cannabis can be an intoxicant, depending on exactly uh, what uh, you know what is in the products that people are ingesting. So, should it be treated as a sin, sin stock, or uh, should it be treated as an opportunity? An opportunity is exactly what our second path is all about. Path two, invest for the money. In 2017, Grandview Research released a paper estimating the global cannabis trade could be more than $140 billion by 2025. And while maybe $1 billion of that is your slacker cousin, there are much bigger players that think this is a real opportunity. Quote, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, get behind Constellation Brands' cannabis play. And that headline is from two months ago, and it's about Constellation Brands, the parent company of beers like Corona, who secured $4 billion in financing to take a stake in a Canadian marijuana company. And this is the context for Coca-Cola. The market for cannabis is new, and it's growing exponentially fast. And getting in early might be a big advantage. What we're seeing is that uh, consumers are becoming more health conscious and aware of uh, the negative health impact of sugary drinks. So what do they drink instead? It's uh, tea or coffee, protein, wellness drinks, or bottled water. That was Leslie Swingado. She's a frequent guest on our podcast, and she covers the consumer goods industry. So Coca-Cola might have a big opportunity in a new wellness drink because that's what consumers want now. But they may also have other reasons to diversify away from soda, because it's not just consumers moving on from sugar. It's actually regulators that are making it harder on soft drinks, too. Um, so a growing number of countries or cities have uh, decided to introduce uh, a sugar tax uh, on sweetened drinks. And basically, the, the, the debate has, mis- has been much more intense around uh, the negative health impact of, uh, of sugary drinks. I mean, just to give you some examples, 
uh, in Berkeley, uh, which is one of the uh, one of the city in the U.S. that uh, passed a sugar tax, um, the consumption of soda declined by 21% among um, minority and low-income consumers. In Mexico, uh, where they passed um, a sugar tax at the national level in 2014. Uh, that trigger a 5% sales reduction in the first year, and in the second year of the implementation, the, deduction, the reduction was uh, of 9% in consumption. So how likely is it that Coca-Cola can avoid some of these risks and take advantage of a new market for a cannabis drink? I know you all love it when I read from a report, so let me read from a report that we made on Coca-Cola. Quote, Coca-Cola has been criticized about the marketing of its products, much of which stems from allegedly misleading health claims related to the company's water and fortified beverage products. Now, we rated the company an A, which is basically middle-of-the-pack rating from an ESG risk management perspective. But it is sort of an open question. Does Coca-Cola's maybe move to cannabis smell more like opportunity? Or does it reek of more risk, risk the company hasn't really been effective at managing? There is a third option. Because if Coca-Cola leverages its brand to legitimize the cannabis market, maybe it has an impact beyond just the company itself. Path three. Invest for impact. Coca-Cola, as of this recording, is the largest beverage company by market capitalization. So when it does something, the industry pays attention. And in contrast to alcohol brands like Constellation, who are also getting into cannabis, Coca-Cola is sort of associated with kids and family. So when that something is to use a previously illicit substance in a line of wellness drinks, the public pays attention too. And Leslie said, there's sort of two ways that Coca-Cola might change the conversation about cannabis and whether or not it means to. You could see it in, in, in two ways. Like first, you might have some lobbying um, from, from those companies among regulators to, um, to, um, to, to regulate and to legalize uh, cannabis. Uh, but that would be done you know, more in a private or confidential way. And, and the explicit and public um, way is that in putting into the center of the debate um, cannabis-infused drink and, and, and putting cannabis into, um, into the public discussion and debate, you're already uh, kind of uh, messaging the, 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 the public towards the idea of you know, um, having cannabis as a mainstream product. So those two things, lobbying and mainstreaming, a brand like Coca-Cola could have some serious influence over. And to be clear, Coca-Cola isn't lobbying for legalization of cannabis, or at least not that we know of. But even mentioning cannabis as a potential wellness beverage, it does send a pretty mainstream message. And legalization could have a profound impact on social health. There's a pretty wide array of research, including by the World Health Organization, about the effects of using cannabis as a treatment for pain or anxiety. And New York State actually conducted an impact assessment of legalizing marijuana that suggested marijuana might actually be useful in reducing opioid addiction and reducing the disproportionate number of minorities in the U.S. prison systems. These social impacts, they neatly line up with 
two of 17 different goals set out by the United Nations, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs. The SDGs are not only used by policymakers to focus on massive social and environmental problems, they're actually used by investors to find companies that achieve both a financial and a social end. So I asked Leslie, does this mean an investment in Coca-Cola gets me a huge social benefit? Not in the drinks industry. It's completely different if it's, uh, of course, um, you know, prescribed for um, for people to alleviate uh, their pain or which have like stress disorders. Um, but in terms of the beverage industry, um, that health uh, component is is not there. Leslie, you're just killing my narrative. Okay. So history has gotten us to this place where as an ESG investor, you can now use a huge amount of data to make better investment decisions. So when Coca-Cola announces it might step into the cannabis market by way of a wellness beverage, ESG investors can choose which paths they want to follow. Path one, do you have a moral problem with cannabis? Do you invest your values? And path two, does Coca-Cola seem like a risk or an opportunity? Do you invest for the money? And path three, if Coca-Cola legitimizes cannabis, does it also create a positive social impact? Do you invest for that impact? And after 3,000 years, you can make a case that ESG investing, it isn't really E or S or G investing at all. Really, it's the same question you ask of any investment. Now that you know what you know, what will you do? That's our show today, the second part of our short history of ESG. If you haven't heard the first part, go back. It's on iTunes. You can get it now. I want to thank Joseph Williams and Leslie Swingado for their help. And thanks to Marco Santiago for his voiceover work. I could listen to his dulcet tones all day long. I'm your host, Matt Muscardi. And next week, we're taking a week off. But we'll be back in a few weeks with some new episodes, including some fun stuff for Halloween. If you like what you hear, please do subscribe and rate us. We're on iTunes and Stitcher and Google, most places you can get your podcasts. Just search for ESG now. And we'll be back soon with more stories. Thanks for listening. In a world where everyone is on the pot. There was an investor who asked a simple question. How much cannabis is too much cannabis? In 2018, that investor got their answer. By listening to ESG Now, subscribe on iTunes. The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940.
and this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to and or received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or a promotional recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or produ product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.